Welcome to The World in 10, your daily update on the biggest stories from around the world, as seen through the eyes of the Times of London. I'm Rebecca Myers. And I'm Laura Cook. Today, we're getting an exclusive update on the International Criminal Court's decision to issue an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin. And if you've been following the protests in Paris, we take a look at why they're happening. But first to a story that has dominated headlines around the world in the past 24 hours. The decision by the ICC, the International Criminal Court, which is based in The Hague, to pursue Russian leader Putin for war crimes. The judges believe there are reasonable grounds to believe that Putin and his children's rights commissioner, Maria Lvova-Belova, are responsible for the unlawful deportation of Ukrainian children to Russia. Now, you might recognise this story. We first covered it on this podcast two weeks ago when the Sunday Times chief foreign correspondent, Christina Lamb, who has led the way on this story, gave us an exclusive report on this phenomenon. Here's what she told us, just to remind you. Two of the mothers I met went on an extremely perilous journey right into Russia to try and rescue their daughters, an astonishing journey of more than 5,000 miles. But others are still waiting. And of course, you can catch up anytime with all of our podcasts on The World in 10 to refresh your memory of stories we cover and how they've developed. But now Christina has another world exclusive on this issue, an interview with the chief prosecutor of the ICC, Karim Khan. The Kremlin considers the court's decision legally void and sceptics wonder what's going to happen next. Let's hear once more from Christina. The big question, of course, is whether we are ever really likely to see Putin in the dock. Most people think it's unlikely, but Khan said he's optimistic and points out that everyone said it was impossible to see the Serbian leader Slobodan Milosevic in the dock for what he did in the Balkans or Charles Taylor, the Liberian president, for what he'd done in Sierra Leone. But both ended up on trial in The Hague, and the latter is still in jail in Durham. What it does mean is Putin will be much more restricted in his travel, as any of the 123 member countries of the court would be obliged to arrest him were he to step foot on their soil. And intriguingly, Khan says there is a process by which they could have a committal without his presence and also said he could be indicted for other crimes. For Khan, clearly, it's not just the importance of getting justice for Ukraine, but also for restoring the rather battered image of the International Criminal Court. It's so interesting to hear there about that interview with Karim Khan. And I think really important to highlight as well that this arrest warrant will be in place, unless the ICC revoke it, for the rest of Putin's life. So it massively limits his ability to travel abroad, as any country that recognises that international criminal court could try to arrest him if he arrived there. So it has a real impact whether or not he ever actually ends up in front of the court in person. head to France, where you'll remember yesterday on this podcast, we brought you news of 300 arrests. Now, it all revolves around President Emmanuel Macron's decision to push through an increase in the age of retirement by two years to the age of 64 without a vote in Parliament. Now, that's what's causing all this distress. Now, protesters are furious, to say the least. And now overnight, there have been fires in the streets across France as well as reports of smashed shot windows during another night of demonstrations. 
Peter Conradi, the Sunday Times Europe editor, has written how this growing unrest has raised fears of a rerun of the so-called Gilets Jaunes, or Yellow Vest protesters, of December 2018. The French are deeply attached to keeping the official retirement age at 62. Let's hear what Peter, who is actually based in Paris, had to say about this story. This is turning into a turbulent time for France, and in particular for President Emmanuel Macron. The country has literally erupted in protest since his government decided on Thursday to push an unpopular pension reform through Parliament by decree, rather than risk a vote it might have lost. We've had two nights of clashes on the Place de la Concorde between protesters and police, with countless other demonstrations across the country. People have not just been marching, they've been stopping traffic and blocking railway lines. This afternoon, one group of protesters burst into a shopping centre in Châtelet in the middle of Paris and set off smoke grenades. And tonight, a big gathering is expected in the Place d'Italie in the south of the city. The next stage in the drama will be on Monday, when Elizabeth Bourne, Macron's Prime Minister, faces a vote of no confidence in Parliament. She's likely to survive it narrowly, but that won't calm the country, with more protests and a series of escalating strikes on the way. Commentators are talking about a possible return to the yellow vest protests that caused chaos for months in 2018 and 2019. Macron's been keeping a low profile for the past few days, but he knows that he needs to do or at least say something to appease his critics. There is talk of him making a presidential address from the Elysee Palace next week. The problem, quite simply, is what's he going to say? The simplest way to calm the mood would be to abandon the pension reform, but Macron has made clear he's not prepared to do that. This trial of strength between the president and the people is not going to end any time soon. Really interesting to hear from Peter about what's going on on the ground there. And this story is developing all the time and um, will keep developing in the next few days. So really good idea to check out the website and see what the latest updates are on that. something that if you're a Taylor Swift fan, you've been waiting three years for. Good morning, America. It's Taylor. I wanted to tell you something that I've been so excited about for a really long time. I've been planning for ages and I finally get to tell you I'm going back on tour. The Eras Tour kicked off last night at the State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, which the local mayor renamed Swift City this week in honour of the American singer. Now, it's got five-star reviews from The Times, a decade of hits in just three hours. What more could fans want? And fans won't be surprised to see five stars, I'm sure, but our correspondent Ellie Austin did have a surprising take on just quite how wide Taylor Swift's appeal is. Ellie looked at a survey which shows that 53% of adult Americans identify as fans of Taylor Swift, or Swifties, as I believe they're called. I'm not a huge fan myself, <laughs> I confess. Um, and it seems that Swifties span all political persuasions. 45% of them voted for Donald Trump in 2020, 58% of them voted for Biden. So could Taylor be the person to unite America? Ellie Austin explains. The majority of experts who I spoke to for the story said that Swift does indeed... Um, have, appeal, have an appeal that crosses political lines in America. Um, one source, Brittany Spanos, who is a senior writer at Rolling Stone magazine, told me it's important to remember that Swift started her career in country music, which is a typically conservative genre, where young stars hoping to make a name for themselves have historically been advised not to speak up politically, particularly if their views are left-leaning. So you can see more on this with Ellie's article in the Times Online and you can also follow at Times Culture on Twitter to read the latest reviews of Taylor's Era's Tour. 
Now, we may have already had St. Patrick's Day, but we are keeping with the Emerald theme because it's safe to say that Ireland are dominating headlines in sport this weekend. It is Judgment Day in the Six Nations Rugby Union. Plenty of build-up in the Times website and, of course, reaction from the title decider when it happens. And Ireland are hoping to finish off with an historic Grand Slam. We can't talk about Irish sport without giving another nod to the showdown in the Gold Cup. The Cheltenham Gold Cup, the pinnacle of the Cheltenham Festival with Ireland's new champion, Galopin Deschamps. Willie Mullins trained horse ridden by Paul Townend and only seven years old too, so that name may well be with us for many more Gold Cups to come. And there's a special treat for fans of horse racing on the Times website in the Times Sport Unseen, which has fabulous photos from Mark Aspland of the Cheltenham Festival. The crowds, the scenery, the atmosphere actually leaps through the lens at you. A couple of thoroughbred steam trains even make an appearance for those train spotters among you. Head to the Times online for a peek. That's all for today, but we have a sneak peek of tomorrow's episode for you. I found out about this production of Hamlet in Yemen in the strangest way. A couple of years ago, I was at a party in, in Amman and I got talking to this amazing woman, uh, Rueda Khaledi, who's head of the British Council's operations in Yemen. And she mentioned to me that they were putting on this production of, of Hamlet in Aden. And I just thought, this is amazing. So I, I kind of kept bugging her from then on. The Sunday Times Middle East correspondent Louise Callahan there talking about how she found out about a production of Hamlet which is taking place in Yemen. More on that tomorrow. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget, if you enjoyed the journalism you heard on this podcast, you can take out a digital subscription to the Times of London.